0: We
1: need a traffic pattern uh, uh, director. Good morning. How's everybody doing? I love that. Back row. Way to be. Let me give you that. Hey, um, something really cool is going to happen today. And um, we are going to uh, set apart someone for ministry here at North Point today. Um, let, me, let me just give an introductory comment and say this. Please understand, recognize that, as followers of Jesus, we are all called to be ministers um, we 're all shepherds and pastors in our own areas you know in your family, with your kids, in your neighborhood at work we 're all called to be ministers but Today, we get to set aside someone for ministry here at North Point, and that's a really cool thing. Why are we doing that? Because there's this pattern that happened in the New Testament that, that lived this out. Let me just share from Acts 13. It says this. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, a guy named Barnabas, a guy named Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. There's this picture in the in the church in the New Testament that they said, Here's someone, here are two guys that were that we've designated to do ministry in a in a in an exceptional way. So we're going to set them apart. By praying with them from the elders, here are three of our four elders: Vic Vertro, Carrie Bayshore, Steve Houston. Jeff uh, Kimmy is down in uh, uh, is down south with his family, but he's—I know he's praying today. And um, and let me just introduce to you Mark and Julie Atkins. Come on down. I feel like a game show host. <laughs> um, we uh, we showed Mark's picture uh, a few weeks ago, but. Um, We've, uh, Mark joins our staff at at the beginning of the year to really work in two areas. He's in charge of all the tech stuff here at North Point, so um, that's a big deal to remove as many barriers as possible in the technical world so that we collectively can hear from God. So Mark's going to be in charge of the lights and the sound and, and the, what, what's on screen, all that stuff. He's going to, uh, what's up here. He's, he's going to be involved in doing that and, and giving himself to that. That's one part of his job. The second part of his job is to connect with the people who aren't here in person. Um, if, if you're watching remotely, uh, understand that you are so important to us here. You're still a part of North Point. And Mark's job is going to be to connect with the people who are, who are virtual, who are not here. It's so important to, to help you all at home to continue to take next steps in your walk with Jesus. Um, the cool thing is that Mark has both skill and talent. And passion for these two areas of ministry. And so uh, we want to, introduce, to uh, introduce him to you, but we also want to pray for him. And so um, Mark and, and Julie, if you'd come up, let me just ask Mark a couple of questions. Uh, pretty simple. Um, Mark, have you given Jesus control of your life? And do you have a sense of calling to ministry here at North Point? I um, do. That's cool, right? Yeah. Uh, affirm that. Um, you guys come front and center. Steve's going to lead us in a time of prayer for Mark and Julie. If you want to just raise your hands towards them, that would be great.
2: Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for that beautiful landscape that you painted for us Mm -hmm. on the way in this morning. We know that uh, it is a gift from you, and we praise you for that. Father, I thank you for all the opportunities that uh, we've had to advance your kingdom in uh, the greater Lansing community this past year, and just look forward for uh, more opportunities to come we be able to um, welcome those uh, with boldness and confidence. Thank you for leading uh, Mark and Julie here. Uh, we thank you that uh, he answered your call to uh, show up and uh, help to show up and help uh, uh, advance your cause in this area. Father, I pray for protection for both of them both uh, physically, mentally, and spiritually. We know that uh, as he becomes more active here, that uh, he will be uh, open for attack. We just pray that uh, you would protect he and Julie both. Father, I ask that you would uh, lift up uh, many folks around here to give them support and encouragement and uh, help he and Julie uh, grow to become uh, members of the North Point family. Father, I uh, pray that for those opportunities that are coming that uh, Mark will be uh, bold and confident in you yeah. in uh, uh, finding those and uh, spreading your word. Father, pray this in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen. Give it up for Mark and Julie. Woohoo! Hey, that's pretty fun, huh? Really cool. Um, We start a new series today called NT90. And it's called NT90 because you're going to be challenged this morning to read through the entire New Testament in the next 90 days. You up for that? Are you up for that? Yeah. Thank you, back row. I love it. Um, Hey, our mission is a church. This is so great to be back together. Um, uh, Yeah. Um, Our mission as a church is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. To help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. Our vision for the next three or five years, for this next season, whatever it looks like, is that everybody who calls North Point home would regularly be sharing how Jesus is working in their life in their sphere of influence owning North Point, seeing Jesus work in their life, sharing that with others, own, see, share, own, see, share. Um, We think that a key part of that process is getting God's word inside us. And today's message is to kind of lay the foundation for that and to challenge you to, to, uh, to take on that challenge. Um, There there are, I think, two critical questions for you if you're committed to what God's doing here at North Point. Um, It it is this. I I just talked about our mission, helping all people move. What is it that you need to do to take some steps to move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus this year, this month? What is it in 2021 that's going to help you move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus? And what is it that God needs to do in you to allow you to see Jesus working in your life so that it becomes just a normal part of, of your conversation of what's going on. Here's the challenge. To read the entire New Testament in 90 days means that you're reading three or four chapters a day, all right? That's, that's all it is. It's a little bit less than 10 minutes to do that consistently. We've got some tools uh, to help you with that that I'm going to tell you about a little bit later. Um, if you're here today and you're skeptical or if you're, um, if you're inquisitive, there are some questions I think that are, that are going to be on your mind that I want to try and answer those questions this morning to challenge you to really accept this, this goal that we have to read through the New Testament. Um, the, the first question I think that's there that's a foundation is, how do we know it's God's word? You know, when you, when you look at the Bible, whether it's electronic version or whether you've got, you've got a, a, a copy there in your hand, a paper copy, how do we know it's God's word? Can we really trust that what we have in our hands is what God has communicated to us about himself? And, and this may be a harder question. Am I, am I going to even really be able to understand what I read? If, if I'm sitting where you are and you say, you know what, I don't have a degree in theology. I, you know, I've never studied at that level. Isn't the Bible limited only to pastors being really able to, to understand it and communicate it to others? Today's message is to try and, and answer those questions and to remove as many obstacles as possible to keep us from, from reading God's word. Um, I think it starts with the question to say, what's the Bible say about itself? If the Bible Bible, um, says about itself that it's just good moral teaching, that it's kind of like Aesop's fables, you know, uh, that that's great, it's good moral teaching, but that's not what you want to build your life on, right? That's not the core of how you have a relationship with Jesus. If on the other hand, the Bible says about itself that this is the word of God, that this has the ability to change us and to bring us into community, into unity with God the Father, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, that's something incredibly different. This is what Paul wrote in a letter that he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. These are verses that are great to memorize. Paul wrote this. He said, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is inspired. Some translations use the word inspired rather than God-breathed. In the original language, what that word is, is theos nustas. Theonustas. Theos, like God, like theology. Neustos is like spirit. And what that, what that word means, we say inspired, we say God-breathed, it means that God's spirit lives in the words that we have in our hands. So that when we read, God has the ability to communicate to us supernaturally who he is through those words. God lives in those words as we interact with those words. That's, that's critical. Paul says, God's word, all scripture, is God-breathed. And it's useful when we interact with it for for rebuking, for teaching, for correcting, for training us in righteousness so that we can be the people that God created us to be. You want a challenge for for a new year? It's to be the person God created you to be and to allow God's word to, to keep us on track. To correct us, to give us course correction, not because it's good moral teaching, but because it's the words of God. Does that make sense? Um, the Bible describes itself as inspired. There are some questions, though, that I that I think uh, still uh, hang out for us. The f- the first is this: How do we get the Bible? How, where where did it come from? Um, let me just give you some big picture background, and I'm gonna I'm gonna Communicate a whole lot of information this morning to try and eliminate as many barriers as I can. Okay, um, big picture: the Bible was written over fifteen hundred years, and four hundred years of that were the were the periods in between um, the Old Testament and the New Testament where nothing was written. So, over a fifteen hundred year period, there uh, the, 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 this book was written. There are two major sections: the Old Testament, which was God's promise, His covenant, His um, testament with the Jews, with his people, that he said, I'll be your God, you be my people. And this is what it looks like. That's the Old Testament. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. When Jesus came, um, he, that, that, for people who accepted Jesus as their Lord, there became a new covenant, a New Testament. And, and uh, that's what we call the New Testament. It's 27 books there. So a total of 66 books All 66 separate books written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. But it's all one story. It's all one story, and that story is a story of redemption because it starts with God creating man and man being separated from God because of sin. And it ends in Revelation with this picture of what it's going to look like to be with God in eternity. It's all one story of redemption, but all the pieces fit together to help tell that story. Now, uh, it's it's important to recognize that that we can read any section of scripture and draw from it and gain a lot. But it helps to know how it fits in the bigger context. It's um, uh, it's it's kind of like um, you know when you when you uh, if 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 you're reading a fiction series and it's a book of it's a series of six books and you start accidentally on book four. And you read it, and it makes sense, but it's kind of like, wow, I'm not sure how this all fits. And the author begins to give extra information to try and give you context. Um, or if, if you pull out the L encyclopedia. You, the, there used to be these things called encyclopedias <laughs> that had lots of volumes, right? And you pull out, you pull out the L, and you, and you start to read. And, and the stuff that you read is really interesting. It, it teaches you all kinds of stuff. But unless you understand that, that it's teaching you about concepts that start with the letter L in the greater context of the alphabet, it doesn't quite make as much sense. The Bible is one story, a story of redemption, um, and God has chosen to communicate to us um, his love for us and how we can have a relationship with, with him. How do we know that what we have um, in our hands is what was said in the original? Listen to me very carefully on this. How do we know that what we hold in our hands as, as, as the Bible, how do we know that that is what was given as the original? We don't, all right? We, there is no guarantee that, that what we have is exactly what was given in the original. Hear me on this, though. The same thing is true of any ancient historical document anything that, that was written uh, really before the last couple hundred years, all, everything that we have is copies of what was the original. All we have is what was given in oral tradition and then put in print. Um, here's the thing about the Bible that's so different than any other document, uh, whether, whether it came from Mohammed or Buddha or Confucius or Pythagoras or Socrates or Plato or any of the Greek philosophers. What's critical is the amount of time from the time that they lived until it was recorded and the time that we have the oldest existing copy from when that was recorded. Does that make sense? Two two pieces that are really important. When they lived, how long did it take to get into writing? And the copy that we have now, how much distance in time exists from that to the original, to, to when it was first written down? Any ancient historical writings, so when you start talking about the, the Greek philosophers, it's, it's uh, somewhere between five and eight hundred years from the time that they lived before any record was made of what they said that we have. A long, long time. Scripture, the Bible, dates to within a hundred years of when Jesus lived, the oldest manuscripts, the oldest copies that we have less than 100 years from when Jesus lived. And the copies that we have are decades from the originals. That's a big deal. There is more more, um, uh, authority, more uh, reliability in what we have that has come to us as God's word than any document in history. We can count on the fact that what we have is reliable? Um, how were the copies made? That you know, that's a legitimate question, right? What well, they didn't have a copy machine, Xerox didn't exist, right? So, so what they do? Well, scribes, their job was to take the original and look at the original and write it down. Not have somebody read it to them. They looked at it and wrote. And and when they got to the end of a page, they would compare the first line, the middle middle character on the top, the middle character in that first line to the middle character in the line that they wrote. They would do that for each page, the middle character of the page. They would count meticulously through the process because they allowed zero errors in the copies that they made. Their commitment to to God's word, to writing that out and having it be identical was incredibly high. And so we can trust that the copies that we have that have come down. The manuscripts are reliable. It was it was their vocation. It wasn't a hobby. The, it's interesting when because we look now and we can compare copies because we say oh, let's go to Romans Romans chapter eight verse three and see what it says in these different copies. The the big numbers and the little numbers that exist in your Bible today, big numbers, little numbers. Someone nod and say yes. I know what I I have no idea. What. That's chapter and verse. The big numbers are the chapters. The little numbers are the verses. And they were added not until the mid-1500s to allow scholars to be able to compare and look at Scripture together, to, to be able to break it down in a way that, that made more sense. Before that, the scribes were, all you had was, okay, here's a copy of Isaiah. Here's, we're going to look in the book of Isaiah. We're, I'm going to read him. I'm going to teach about it. Here's the book of John. Here's the letter that, that um, Peter wrote. Whole, whole deal. Not until the 1500s were, were, the, um, were the numbers added. Um, the, there, I think there's a legitimate question to say, um, how did the church decide what, was, what went into the Bible and what was excluded from the Bible? Because lots of stuff were written at that point in time. Um, the, it's important to know that early on, the church leaders recognized what each other wrote as authoritative, as being inspired, as being from God. Paul considered the, the, um, the writings of Luke, the book of Luke, the biography of Jesus written by Luke, the book of Acts, he considered them to be authoritative, inspired. Peter considered Paul's writings to be inspired. The letters, um, that as, as they were written uh, in the New Testament, were designed to be distributed among the churches they recognized that they were authoritative. It wasn't until the end of the fourth century, though, at a, at a uh, council called the Council of Carthage, uh, 397 um, A.D., that, that the church leaders came together and said, oh, definitively, we have to determine what's in and what's out of Scripture. The Old Testament at that point was was established but, but they asked some critical questions because there were lots of documents that were being circulated that people said, oh, this is scripture and you need to listen to it. It was a, you know, a way to become famous and influence a lot of people. These were the questions the council asked. Was the author an apostle or have a close connection with an apostle? Second question, is the book being accepted by the body of Christ at large? got some history there. Has the church accepted it? Third question, did the book contain consistency of doctrine and orthodox teaching? What that meant was, was what was written in this particular book consistent with the rest of scripture? Uh, Book four, or question four, did the book bear evidence of high moral and spiritual values that would reflect the work of the Holy Spirit in us? That was the process that God used to bring together the Bible in, in what was called the canon. Um, it, met, it just meant it was the rule. It was, it was the, the, the box that contained Scripture. Um, uh, so much there, so much history and stuff. Let, 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 me, um, let me get to what I think matters a ton. Is it significant to have access to Scripture Today, for most of us, you know, you can go. You can go to, to Walmart. You can go to Meyer, You can go to a bookstore. You can get a copy of the Bible most any place. If you've got a smartphone, you can read the Bible there. Is that significant? Is it significant to have access uh, to Scripture? Um, let me just paint a picture of how important it has been historically for God's word to be available to us in a language that we could understand. About 400 years before Jesus was born, Alexander the Great uh, came in and conquered the world. Greek became the language of the world. And about 200 years before Jesus was born, the Old Testament, because that's all there was, Jesus hadn't come yet, the Old Testament was translated into Greek because that was the language of the world. That translation was called the Septuagint. Seventy scholars came together to do that translation. And so if you're reading about the Bible, if you're doing some background kind of work, you will see LXX to describe this translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek. LXX70, Roman numerals, remember that from... um, elementary school, whatever, uh, the Septuagint, that, uh, 200 years before, before Christ. About 400 years after Jesus was born, about the same time as the Council of Carthage where they said, this is God's word, the, the, Rome had taken over the world, and the language of Rome, the official language of Rome was Latin. And so there was a translation that, w- that came from, from the Hebrew and from, um, from Greek into Latin. That translation was called the Latin Vulgate. That, it was important to get scripture into the language of the people, okay? That translation, the Latin Vulgate, became the translation that was used by the church for the next thousand years, all the way through the Middle Ages. The only problem was about 200 years after it was translated, Rome dissolved and Latin died. You've heard the Latin's a, di- a dead language, right? Nobody speaks it. The church and the church leaders, only the educated people could understand that translation of the Bible that was being used by everybody. So the common people didn't have access to scripture. So they would go to church and what the priests said, what the priest communicated, that was the only way that they could know what God wanted in their life. Um, that, lots of problems with that because because the church wasn't just a religious institution, it was a geopolitical institution as well. It governed the world at that point in time. And, and the problem was because only the priest had access to scripture, scripture became a weapon to be used to control people, rather than the story of redemption that God designed it to be. In uh, 1381, John Wycliffe, who was a Catholic priest, began to translate the Bible into English. The Catholic Church didn't like it at all. Uh, but Wycliffe did some translation. He later died of a stroke. And the Catholic Church, as Wycliffe's translation became available to people, copies became available to people, the Catholic Church eventually called Wycliffe a uh, heretic. And 25 years after he died, they exhumed his bodies and burnt his bones because he was a heretic. They were so opposed to Scripture being translated into English. Um, uh, Wycliffe's central tenet was his belief that the Bible is the only source of authority to have a relationship with God for Christian doctrine. It doesn't matter what the church says. It doesn't matter what the priest says. It doesn't matter what anybody says. What matters is what Scripture says. You can understand why that threatened the Catholic Church as an institution at that point, to possess a copy of Wycliffe's translation of the Bible was a crime punishable by death in the 1400s. To simply have a copy in a language that you could read. So effective was the Catholic Church at controlling that that it was not until 1526 that William Tyndale translated all of Scripture into English. Um, Actually, all of the New Testament into English at that point in time. Tyndale's translation was different in that he went back to the original languages. Tyndale translated from Hebrew and Greek rather from the Latin Vulgate. So he wasn't translating from a translation. He was translating from the original, which was a big, big deal. And the printing press had been invented. And so uh, the work that he did could become available available to people very easily. Um, uh, The church didn't like it. Eventually, uh, Tyndale spent uh, uh, the the last section of his life in hiding as he was doing this translation work. They set up a, a sting, essentially found Tyndale, they um, put him on trial, they tied him to a stake in the center of town, they strangled him, and then they burnt his body in front of everyone to say, "No, we don't want we don't want scripture in the hands." of people in, in their own personal language. It wasn't an, until another 75 years later that King James of England authorized a translation of scripture into English, the King James Version of the Bible in 1611. It was a, it's a big deal to have scripture in our language that we can understand. Um, having the ability to read scripture without depending on me without depending on Chris, without depending on on the Pope or anybody else is fundamental to our individual relationship with God. the Bible talks itself about how important God's word is to us. Psalm 119 is right kind of in the center of the Bible if you're using a paper Bible and it's this this incredibly long chapter that just it's this poem about the goodness of God's word. Let me share 8 verses from Psalm 119 that I think are just so, so important. Verse 11 says, "I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, God." Verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law, in your word. Verse 28, this is, I think, the verse for 2021. My soul is weary (laughs) with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 34, give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Verse 37, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Verse 105, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Verse 125, I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes, your your law, your word. Verse 175, let me live that I may praise you. And may your laws, your word, sustain me. As of September 2020, the full Bible has been translated into 704 different languages. That's a a big deal. The New Testament has been translated into an additional 1,500 languages. And parts of uh, of the Bible have been translated into another 1,100 different languages. The work that Tim and Courtney Chanterre have done with the Yembi Yembi tribe in Papua New Guinea is, is so critical because in giving the Yembi people language and the Bible in their language, it allows Tim and Courtney and every missionary to leave the Yembi Yembi tribe and the Yembi tribe to follow Jesus because they can read God's word for themselves. Having God's word in our language available to us is such a big deal. So here's the deal. I want to encourage you to take the challenge. Take the challenge. We're talking about reading three or four chapters a day over the next 90 days. Less than 10 minutes. God's word will get in you and we'll begin to teach you about who he is. How do you do that? How do you take that challenge? When you leave today, you're going to get a card like this. All right? Um, it has, we've, we have a reading plan on version that the first 150 people that link up with this will be a part of my reading plan. It's, it's a pretty simple reading plan. It's, it's basically three or four chapters a day every day for the next 90 days but if you link up to you version you can comment about what you read that particular day you can see what i comment about when i comment that kind of thing so so you can Get in. you can be a part of the plan. Um, if you need a paper copy and you're not able to do this, just send me an email because I've got it all laid out and I can send that to you really easy. When you leave, if you don't have a paper copy of Scripture, the Gideons have provided for us um, uh, copies of the New Testament that you can take with you. Uh, let that be our gift from them and from us to you. Um, over the course of covid like lots of people, spend a lot of time, you know, watching movies and um, stuff, stuff on TV, whatever. Two different movies that we've watched during the pandemic have quoted the same poem f- by Robert Browning, which is really interesting to me. This is, this is the quote that both movies used. A man's reach should exceed his grasp. Or what's heaven for? A man's reach should exceed his grasp. What's a heaven for? What's that mean? In the context of the movies, it, it meant that you should always have something that's beyond you, that you're looking to, that you're trying to achieve. I want to give you a spiritual application of Browning, of that segment from Browning's poem. A man's reach spiritually should always exceed his grasp. Here's the question as you face 2021. Are you satisfied with where you are Spiritually? Are you satisfied with the relationship that you have with Jesus? Are are you at a place that you say, I don't need to read the New Testament. I've read it before. I've, I've gone to church my whole life. Are you satisfied? Don't be. If God wants to do his work in us, we can never say we know enough. We've been changed enough. Um, Our lives, uh, we're satisfied with where we are spiritually. We've got to figure out how to experience the work that God wants to do in us on a daily basis. I think that you can do that as you interact with God's word over the next three months, over the next 90 days. Let me just encourage you, as you start to read, every time you read, just sit down and just say a quick prayer. Say, God, help me to understand what I read today. And help me, be, help me be able to see what applies to my life today from what I read. And see if God doesn't answer that prayer. Um, I, I want to encourage you to take the challenge. And to recognize that your life can be transformed when as you read those three or four chapters a day, as you work your way through the New Testament, that, that it becomes a normal part of your conversation, that you have the ability to have a conversation with your husband or wife and say, you know what I read today? Did, did you read that too? Yeah, I've been, I've been thinking about this thing that I read. That's a conversation you can have with your, with your husband or wife, with your kids, with the people that you're with at work. You don't even have to talk about where it came from, but you, all you have to do is say, you know what I read? You know what I've been thinking about? There's this concept that's there that Jesus taught that I've just been chewing on. I, I'm telling you, it will transform your relationship with your wa- husband or with your wife. It will transform your relationship with your kids. It will transform your relationship with the people at work. It will change who you are as you begin to process out loud And share with others what God is teaching you on a daily basis. Here's really the, the fundamental question If I read scripture, will it change me? Will it change my life? I think so. But the only way to know is to try, right? Let's pray. God, I, I'm, uh, I'm really overwhelmed this morning at your faithfulness in bringing your word to us in our language over the span of history. The sacrifice that was made by so many to study and translate, to be able to give to us in English in a way that we can understand truths that describe who you are and how to have a relationship with you. God, I ask that you would make us into the individuals and into the body of Christ that you want us to be. God, I ask that you would guide us, that you would protect us, that you would empower us by your spirit as we commit to reading your word. God, protect us from the whispers and the screams of Satan that say that, ah, you're too busy or you won't understand or you're not good enough or whatever stuff he throws, distractions, that you would be at the center of who we hear this year and especially, God, in the next three months do your work in us through your word. God, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.
0: time of desperation. All we know is doubt and fear. There is only one foundation. We believe. We believe. i in us new life we believe in the crucifixion we believe that he conquered death we believe in the resurrection and he's coming back again